Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello, hello everybody, hello my friends. I am not sick, but I do have a little bit of a scratchy throat, so I apologize for that. Um, If my voice sounds a little bit different... Uh, it's just uh, it's just allergies, uh, giving me a little bit of a scratchy throat. But I am fine, and I'm feeling fine, and I hope you are feeling fine and staying safe and sane in what can sometimes be a crazy world. Today, I'm going to talk about spiritual sovereignty and the true will. So, you know, per usual, I will start by defining what those things mean and then, um, you know, what they mean to me anyway. And, uh, you know, that way we have sort of a level playing ground. You understand what I mean when I say what I say. And uh, you may define things in other ways or or have other people define things in different ways. And that is totally fine. I'm not here to impose my will while we're talking about will today on anybody. Um, It's just so we can have a little bit of a, well, it's a conversation. I realize it's one way in this podcast, but uh, it is what it is, you know. And uh, so these are topics that are really important to me. And spiritual sovereignty, I'll talk about what that is. But it's something that uh, I, I'm writing a book currently, and that is a main thrust of the book, talking about spiritual sovereignty. And that's a term as far as I know, that uh, I coined that term as far as I know. I haven't seen anybody else use it, so it might be a little bit foreign to you. But, you know, those two two common words, spiritual and sovereignty, what does that mean? So to me, spiritual sovereignty means the ability, the capacity, or the state of being able to exercise your true will without interference. Um, There's a lot packed in there, (laughs) right? There's true will. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, But... Really, spiritual sovereignty is having the ability to stand in your power and follow your path without interference from from anywhere, right? And there's and what sorts of things can interfere with that? What sort of you know what kinds of things can interfere with our standing in our power? And you know, um, I you know I follow the path of shamanism. I am a shamanic practitioner. And so, you know, from, you know, shamans for many, many years, thousands of years, have talked about power. And so we need to understand what that is because so often, um, you know, power is used as a negative term, right? Talk about people being power hungry or people having power over other people, and power is merely just the capacity to, you know, if we take the, the physical definition of power, 
Power is really the physical capacity to do work. So power from this perspective is the, you know, the power to accomplish, the power to do things, the power to, um, again, we're going to talk about the true will in a minute, the power to exercise your true will. Um, so in that respect, power is really neutral. And so it's a, it's a tool, right? Power is a tool. And there's different kinds of power. I can have physical power. I can have, um, you know, electrical power. I can have mental power, spiritual power. So power is a neutral tool. And so if I think about tools, I can take a hammer, right? And I can take that hammer and I can use it to build a home or I can use that to um, hit my neighbor over the head. And is so in that respect, it is not the tool that is good or bad, you know, or or good or evil or what however you want to put those terms. Um, the hammer itself is a tool, and it is how that is used that is the you know that that is that is the result, right? So you know, we talk about, um, you can talk about financial power, right? We can, we have, you know, a lot of billionaires and millionaires in the world. Some of those people use their wealth in very philanthropic ways. Some of those people use a tremendous amount of wealth to benefit mankind as best they can. And we can talk about all of the, you know, we can get into, arguing about all the ethical implications of hoarding large amounts of cash and, you know, well, a lot of the world is impoverished and, and that sort of thing. Um, but just talking about money, and there is, you know, at least at least in the West here, we have this whole, um, you know, this phrase that comes from the, the Bible that is, I think, often misquoted as money is the root of all evil. And um, I believe the actual quote is, the love of money is the root of evil. So it's really about people who are greedy and people who are um, so focused on money and accumulating wealth that they can't see, they don't care about anything else. They don't care about suffering. They don't care about um, their spiritual development, that sort of thing. So spiritual sovereignty is really about standing in your own spiritual power and having the ability to develop, evolve spiritually without interference. And what kinds of things might interfere with that? What kind of things might interfere with your spiritual sovereignty? Well, there are a lot of them, unfortunately. Um, you know, some of those things have to do with the culture that we live in and the media that we take in, right? And, um, you know, I'll, I'll give an example of that. In, you know, in the Western world, in particularly in, um, you know, some parts of Europe and the United States, um, you know, we still have this concept of the wicked witch, and we see people as practicing witchcraft in league with the devil. And, um, you know, that has been the case for hundreds 
of years. And, um, you know, quite honestly, it's a lot of poppycock and it's used, it had been used in the past to um, oppress women, for example, who were not, you know, oppress a lot of people, but especially women who were not practicing witchcraft, who might have been practicing herbal medicine or, or not, might have had a wart on their face and that was enough to, um, to have them put to death in some cases, definitely imprisoned in a lot of cases. So, um, you know, but, you know, and in modern days, you know, there are lots of people who practice witchcraft as a religion or as a spiritual practice, and there isn't a devil figure in there, so they don't worship the devil. And, you know, most of the people who are doing that, who practice Wicca or some other form of witchcraft, um, have a very strong moral and ethical code and don't do things that are harmful to others. In general, you know, there, there may be, there are exceptions, um, but in general, however, you know, that being said, and there, you know, there's a little more tolerance for people, well, a lot more tolerance for people doing that. You're not going to be put to death. And yet there's still a lot of, uh, TV and movies and plays and all kinds of things where, um, we see wicked witches being the bad guy. You know, there was the movie The Witch not that long ago, a number of years ago, and that was really um, scary as heck, scary movie. And it really did paint the picture of um, witches in the way that they were conceived of in the 1600s in um, what is now the United States. And, uh, you know, but made them a little bit more real. But we see that. We see that a lot as we're coming into the Halloween season, especially we'll have, you know, images of ugly witches and that sort of thing. Um, And so let's say, you know, let's say it is your path. It is your true path to um, explore Wicca or witchcraft or, or practice magic or that sort of thing. Well, there's going to be all of these cultural influences, right? They're going to be people who, um, who put pressure on you and their culture applies pressure on you and, and all of those things. So in that way, you know, that can interfere with your spiritual sovereignty, with your ability to stand in your st- true spiritual path. You know, myself, I practice shamanism and there are a lot of misconceptions about that. So... Um, you know, a while back, I was uh, a couple of years ago. I was teaching a class in shamanism, and out of the blue, this individual contacted me. I've never spoken to this person before, or um, anything, but somehow he had seen my class, and he called me a fraud, and he said that um, he was, you know, representing. Uh, Native American people in the area, and they they wanted him to put a stop to what I was doing. I don't know the truth of that at all. Um, But I make it very clear that I don't practice Native American spirituality. I don't steal Native American tools. I don't pretend to be Native American. I don't dress up as a Native American. And I have seen that done. I've seen uh, very recently... Uh, pictures from people doing shamanic work in Portugal, and they were dressed as uh, they were dressed as plains 
Native Americans with full war bonnets and war paint on. And these were, you know, Portuguese people with no Native American heritage misusing um, misusing those symbols. And that that's not something that I do. But um, still, there are those people out there who think that's what I'm doing for some strange reason. Um, you know, most shamanism isn't Native American, and not all Native American um, forms of spirituality were shamanic. So... You know, the, the idea there is not, um, doesn't hold weight. And this, you know, I, I would have preferred to engage this individual in um, a concrete conversation to, you know, uh, better inform him about what I was doing. Um, but he had already, he had already made up his mind. And so, you know, I didn't, I didn't change what I did. I don't change what I teach. Um, but I do. I did add. I did add a segment to when, when I'm teaching an introduction to shamanism class. I add a sec. I've added a section now about cultural appropriation and how what we're doing is not, um, you know, Native American spirituality, even though it has been um, misperceived as that by people um, who are maybe well-meaning but very misinformed. So there's cultural pressures, right? Um, there are also there are also spiritual pressures. There's all kinds of stuff going on spiritually. Um, when I see clients for healing sessions, very frequently people have um, uh, you know all kinds of things going on. They might have uh, soul loss is a really common one, which is a result of trauma, or they might have intrusions, which we pick up when people direct angry thoughts at us or we just walk into a place where there has been violence or some other, you know, really, really uh, what people might call negative vibes or negative energy. Um, and sometimes that stuff sticks to us and we walk around with it and it blocks us from being a, a clear channel to spirit. In shamanism, we call uh, being a, clear channel of the spirit becoming the hollow bone. If you think about a hollow bone, it's like a tube, an empty tube. And um, in some cultures, they, you know, they would uh, blow through a tube to do um, spiritual work, you know, blowing um, soul, you know, soul parts back into somebody's body or energy or what have you. And obviously you can't do that if the bone isn't hollow. And so when um, shamans talk about becoming a hollow bone. What we're talking about is, you know, getting rid of the interference and becoming a clear channel for spirit to work through us. Um, this isn't a level. <laughs> it's not a level of shamanism. I have reached the hollow bone level. You know, um, I have a background in martial arts and a lot of people like, you know, aim to attain the level of black belt and it doesn't hold, you know, it holds individual meaning for people, but it like universally that doesn't mean a whole lot because they're, you know, I can go to a certain school and get my black belt in a year or, you know, in, in my school it took 10 years. So there's a big difference between 
there's no standardization there's but but people place a lot of emphasis on levels um and shamanism is not uh, patriarchal it's not a pyramid scheme there aren't levels anything so it's really what it is it's an ongoing process it's an ongoing thing of um working on oneself to become more and more that hollow bone and whether and that's true whether you're doing healing work on yourself or just uh or you know on yourself or for others or you're not doing healing work and you're just using um shamanic tools for spiritual revelation direct revelation you want to clear out the channel so you can receive messages from spirit without, you know, with less interference. So there's a bunch of stuff that can get stuck to us um, and working on clearing that out. There's also a lot of stuff we carry around. We have, sh- we have a shadow, right? This is the, the term that Jung coined for exiled parts of ourselves, so, for example, um, you know, I might have been raised in a family where um, uh, men being artistic was uh, looked at as emasculine and um, emasculinity is a bad thing. And so there was shame attached to that and I might have repressed artistic urges. Those would be in my shadow somewhere and until I pull those up and confront those and, um, you know, integrate them with myself, I am not going to be whole. And there's going to be parts of myself that, um, force me to act up in unpredictable ways in ways that I wouldn't normally do that. And so that's one example, but there's a lot of stuff we cram down into our shadow could be like anger, right? Some people, um, and, and this isn't to say that you should fly off the handle and attack people whenever you're angry so you're not sticking that in your shadow. No, there are good ways to express anger. And there are out-of-control ways to <laughs> express anger. Um, and you have a right to feel your feelings, whatever they are. And so a lot of times we stuff our feelings um, you know, in, in the place where I grew up, um, you know, men were really only allowed to express two emotions and that would be humor or anger and everything else was seen as emasculine. And so men didn't cry. We heard that there's, um, a famous, uh, song called boys, boys don't cry. And, um, you know, that was something I was taught growing up, boys don't cry, you know, and my father would you know, if my brother and I would cry about something when we were little, I'll give you something to cry about. And that was a threat of violence. And so you stuffed, you stuffed that, you stuffed that down. And that stuff definitely interferes with recognizing your true path, following your true path, exercising true will. And so um, I highly recommend to everyone who has who lives and who has ever lived and who will ever live to do some kind of shadow work, shadow integration. We all have shadows. <clears throat> I don't care who you are. And I have seen that. I have seen 
um, people who were uh, recognized as enlightened teachers who had large followings of people who committed suicide or who um, sexually abused followers or who wound up drinking themselves to death or all kinds of stuff. And so these are people who might have um, woken up and the philosopher um, Ken Wilber talks about waking up, growing up, and cleaning up, right? So waking up is, you know, sort of enlightenment or, you know, having, having spiritual realizations. And, you know, some people gain, I have, you know, I have witnessed, um, it's rare, but I have witnessed people who have uh, exhibited powers that could be said to be supernatural, like crazy stuff. Um, you know, not stage magic stuff, but like some really, really weird phenomena with with people um, who have developed themselves spiritually to a certain level. Um, And we sometimes mistake that. Um, We sometimes think that this is, that this person is perfected somehow, right? Maybe they are the Buddha or maybe they are um, Jesus or Muhammad or what have you. And they are perfected being, without flaws, without sin, and nothing in their shadow. Um, And that is not always true, and often not true. Because all of a sudden, you have somebody who hasn't done their shadow work, who hasn't done their cleanup work, right? And they are abusing people, or, you know, sexually, physically, financially abusing people. Or they are um, harming themselves through chemical dependence, or um, committing suicide, or, you know, all kinds of things. So these are people ultimately who have not done their cleanup, and they, I don't know for sure because I haven't lived their lives, but, you know, I think that very frequently there is a very high level of spiritual bypassing going on, meaning, well, I have reached enlightenment now, so I don't have to worry about these things anymore. And there is nothing in my shadow. I have no ego anymore. Um, and those things just aren't true. Um, they're just not true. Unless, you know, I have not experienced anyone for whom that is true. Whether, you know, observing in person or from afar. Um, and so there is this, uh, when you develop, what we call the astral body or the soul body, and that develops, and that can develop um, significantly. You can do all kinds of things there. Um, what comes along with that very often is hubris, right? This sense of um, I am bigger, more powerful, purer, whatever, than I actually am. A distorted sense of self. And a distorted sense of self isn't ego. It's a distorted ego. You still have a sense of yourself. And so this is a thing where um, where spiritual abilities, cities in some, you know, in, in um, Sanskrit, I guess, uh, can interfere 
with spiritual realization. Um, I do know of one person, and just from stories, I never met this person. Um, is an American teacher named Lester Levinson. He passed away, I think, in the 90s. Um, he was the originator of uh, what is now called the Sedona Method. Um, and, you know, according to um, people who knew him, you know, and, and studied with him or whatever... Um, he developed, um, you know, as a side effect of his spiritual work, Not it was not the intention of his spiritual work. The whole intention of his spiritual work was to go free, right? Whatever that, you know, whatever that happens to mean in this context, that was the, the focus. But along the way, he developed some um, spiritual abilities, shall we say. Um, so... You know, he could, uh, he could, according to people who knew him, like manifest, manifest anything and had significant control over his body. In fact, when he started, um, he was on death's door. He had had a massive heart attack and um, he had been an engineer, I think, and gone home to die, basically. And it was at a time, you know, in like the 1950s or something where there was no, um, there there wasn't the medical care we have today. And they said, you shouldn't even walk up a flight of stairs because if you do, you're going to drop dead. That's how bad it was. His heart was so blocked. Um, And he healed himself. You know, he healed himself by diving into spirituality and then later in life had um, significant control over his physical body. Um, You know, I've heard stories from his students of him, you know, in his 80s, um, you know, you know, people were hiking up a mountain and he like ran past them and met them at the top, not even out of breath. Um, but he could also uh, manifest things in reality. Um, so what happened was he, did, you know, according to his students again, and, you know, take it for, take it for secondhand knowledge, but According to his students, he um, developed a bunch of uh, spiritual powers, um, you know, these abilities to do all of these things, and, um, you know, played with them for a little while, but then realized they were a, a trap for him, right? Because um, he didn't want an inflated ego or distorted ego. He didn't, He his goal was to... Um, have complete freedom, complete spiritual freedom. This is that spiritual sovereignty I've been talking about. So um, what he did, according to them, is he gave them up consciously. He's like, okay, I don't want these anymore. And had the ability to um, essentially delete the power so they wouldn't tempt him away from his path. And I think of... um, you know, the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, right, as a good uh, example of that, the Legend of the Ring, where the ring grants um, the ring grants powers to people who put it on, but people become addicted to it, and they turn into Gollum, or they um, do wicked things or evil things or um, what have you, because they're so, they forget themselves. And that's a really, really great metaphor for what can happen on our spiritual path. We can get tied up in powers and abilities and 
Um, this isn't to say that you can't have uh, some special abilities to heal or what have you um, that you're using and for good intention, but um, you know the idea is not to get attached to them, and it's because they're it's power again, right? And it's like money. You know, I have uh, money is a form of power. Power is inherently neutral. It's not money itself that is good or evil. It is what you do with it. Um, I can use money to um, feed starving people, or I can um, use money to, um, I don't know, buy something that pollutes the environment. And so really it's about making conscious choices, and this is all a part of spiritual sovereignty, it's about making conscious choices and the ability to make conscious choices about how and where and when you use your power. Choice is really important. Um, you know, it's important part of free will. That being said, um, you know, there's some spiritual power that is used to circumvent people's free will. And, um, you know, ethically, I don't think that's a great idea uh, because of that. People should have people should have free will. I don't use the word should very often, I hope. Um, but this is something I do feel very passionate about, that people should have the ability to choose their path, to follow their true path, and I promise I'm going to get to true will in a moment. <laughs> um, so things like um, curses, you know, attacks, spiritual attacks on other people, I know they're common. I know how common they are, you know. I think there was a, a well they dug up, um, you know, that was two, you know, over 2,000 years old, and they found dozens of Greek, you know, curse tablets thrown down the well. So apparently this was a thing where people would carve um, curses into tablets and then, you know, offer them up to this well to be taken place or whatever. Um, you know, and so cursing really is a form of taking away uh, somebody's free will. And I count in that, and this may seem odd to some people, um, love spells, especially certain types of love spells, spells that people cast that are meant to Make somebody fall in love with you or love magic or, um, you know, that sort of thing. Things that are designed to interfere with somebody's free will. There's a really fine line here. Um, you know, if, uh, you know, if you have a partner, a love partner, a spouse or, uh, you know, some other love partner, and you do some ritual together to enhance your love for each other, well, that's fine because that's um, you are both choosing to do that as long as it's both, you know, you have both freely chosen. Um, it's very different if you do work to um, circumvent, you know, you cast a traditional love spell to make somebody fall in love with you. And very frequently those things do not work out very well. Um, I've heard horror stories. Uh, don't do, I'm not really a spell caster and I wouldn't, if I were, I wouldn't do that sort of work. 
Um, right. And so um, in shamanism, we have very few rules, but we do have, um, there are a few ethical guidelines that I follow that I don't, um, you know, never, ever, ever circumvent. And one of those rules is we never work on somebody without their permission. There are a couple of exceptions to this. Um, One exception would be somebody who is unconscious and unable to give consent. So if loved ones asked me to work on somebody who was in a coma, for example, and I have, I've done that, I would... Um, I would journey to them and, uh, you know, if, if I could, you know, talk to their spiritual selves and journey, I would, um, you know, then ask their permission to do work on their behalf. Um, but if somebody called me up and said, um, you know, I need you to, uh, do a healing ceremony for my sister, um, but she can't know about it because she would, you know, reject, you know, the practice of shamanism or what have you. I just wouldn't do that work. Um, that would be a big no. Um, because that would be interfering with somebody's will, with their choice, with their decision. Um, you know, it also potentially work on children. Uh, we, you know, the rule of thumb is children under 13 with permission of their parents. Um, you know, I've done work, uh, work for unborn children, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I don't, other than that, (laughs) um, you know, and I would probably, um, I don't work a lot with children, but, um, if I did, I would probably talk to talk through things with a child I was working with anyway, um, and check and see if they were okay with what was being done. But those are kind of rules of thumb that my teachers have given me and their teachers have given them and their teachers have given them and so on and so forth. Um, and that's not necessarily true for all shamanic cultures and, and that sort of thing, but um, I do feel like that is a, um, that, that's a very good rule <laughs> uh, because I'm all about the spiritual sovereignty, as I have been saying. So let me talk about true will, because I said that spiritual sovereignty is the ability to um, act on your true will, to do things within your true will. And, you know, um, the famous, infamous um, occultist, magician, yogi, what have you, um, Alistair Crowley, some people know him as, you know, the beast and associate him with the devil and all of these things. Um, and a lot of that was his own doing. He loved, um, he loved PR. He was a, definitely a larger than life character and loved even bad press. Um, he was very dramatic. Um, you know, and by all reports, he was not what we would consider these days a very nice person. He was definitely abusive towards women, towards men, towards his followers, um, you know, didn't take care of his children. Um, There were all, you know, all kinds of things going on with this guy. However, he did write a very, you know, many influential works 
on magic and occultism and, you know, Raja yoga and gosh, all kinds of stuff. And his most famous work, I would say, um, which is, you know, the first one that he penned um, supposedly with this uh, spirit, this angel or what have you, standing over his shoulder, dictating it to him while he was in Cairo, Egypt on his honeymoon after having spent um, his honeymoon night in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. Kind of a cool, kind of a cool story. He wrote his um, Liber Vel El Legis, or Book of the Law, um, which if you try to read is going to be, you know, if you don't, if you don't do some research and, you know, it's going to be a little bit challenging. Um, I do have, I do have a couple of annotated copies of that and some commentary on it and, um, have, uh, you know, read a bit about it because it's an important, it's a seminal thing that has, um, shaped a lot of modern thought on spirituality. And so, from that book, there is the law of Thelema, which is what um, he called his organization or his uh, philosophy, maybe not his organization, but um, his philosophy and the, the you know, the practices are called Thelema and um, people who practice are called Thelemites or they call themselves that, I guess. Um, and so you know, the most famous law to come out of that, the law of Thelema, is uh, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Right? So do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Um, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of uh, description of what that means in that book. Um, there's lots of commentary and there's lots of other things. And so people who are not um, steeped in that type of learning hear that, um, and I, you know, I know this was my take on it when I first read it. I'm like, oh, well, really what he's saying is do whatever you want. Do what you will. Do what you want. And that's the whole, that's it. That's the entire law. Do whatever you want. You know, shoot people if you want to shoot people, um, burn down people's houses, uh, rape and pillage, because if that's what you want to do, that's the entire law. Um, you know, and I will tell you that is not at all what that law means. Um, it is not, it does not mean do whatever you want, even though, um, you know, Crowley might have done a lot of whatever he wanted um, and done some, done some things that we would consider not so nice. Um, But that's not the intention about the law. The intention is the the will they're talking about here is the true will, your true spiritual will. And really, this is about following your spiritual path, not the path necessarily that you were born into because your parents belong to a specific church or religion or or we're atheists, or what have you. Um, And, you know, not, um, you know, not 
the way society thinks you should believe. And, you know, so again, this is really about a path of self-revelation. It's about following your own path, but you have to discover what that is. And that's the work. That's the work we all have to do. Um, and it is about, it's about throwing aside the pressures that culture puts on us and throwing, you know, and working on ourselves to surface our shadow material and integrate it and, you know, do, you know, the way that um, it was done through Thelema is lots and lots of ritual, lots of studying, lots of ritual magic, um, lots of uh, group rituals and, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and that is not my particular bent, although I find a lot of that stuff really fascinating. Um, you know, a lot of initiation, a lot of uh, changing, changing, shaking up your spiritual makeup to find what it is that you are in alignment with. Um, so for me, you know, um, I do feel like helping people find their spiritual sovereignty, helping them feel like they're connected and living, you know, discovering their true path and living true to that, living true to themselves as a spiritual being, as a, as a spark of the divine. I do feel like that is at least a part, if not, you know, the major part of my true will. Um, because what happens is um, spirit kind of knocks you around a little bit, and it can be rough. I had a rough time at the beginning of it. <laughs> um, I've gone through several rough periods. We call those initiations in shamanism, um, where I might go through a health crisis or a mental health crisis, or um, you know, my life might fall apart, might get divorced, might lose jobs. All kinds of stuff can happen, and sometimes it happens all at once. And you know, it's about kind of breaking down that ego a little bit and um, shaking things up. And so you you right the ship and you become stronger for it. Sort of like, um, you know, if you break a bone and it, and it heals properly, it will frequently heal stronger than before it was broken. Um, right. It's kind of the same thing being shaken, having a dark night of the soul frequently makes people um, come out stronger on the other side, even though it seems like the end of the world while you're going through it. So spiritual sovereignty is really about getting rid of the interference, the static, getting rid of the noise, and following the clear signal Um that feels, you know, when you click into it, it will feel natural. It will feel, it will feel good. It'll feel like home. It'll feel like this is where I am supposed to be. And that was, you know, honestly, that was what shamanism became for me uh, when I was working in, you know, working through apprenticeships. And, um, you know, there was a point in time at the beginning where I was, you know, resistant and, um, you know, didn't like doing a lot of the things and was scared of part of it. And there was a point where it all really clicked for me. And I, you know, said, this is home. 
This is home for me. This is my spiritual home. And so I feel like I'm following my true path. Um, teaching, teaching and doing these podcasts and writing articles and books and being quoted in the media and all kinds of stuff. Um, that feels like an even bigger part of it. Um, I, I love that part. I love being able to uh, talk about this stuff and have people listen. It's very, um, it's very rewarding for me because I, I hope, um, you know, my one goal with things like that is that I'm making a positive impact that I'm, that I'm helping people in any small way, seek out their true will and follow that and do what thou wilt, right? Do that. What's your true will? Do it. And that's not to say that your true will is necessarily a path towards spiritual leadership of any kind. I don't know what your true path is. Um, You know, part of it will involve, you know, everything we do, if you do it, if you go deep enough with anything you do, it becomes spiritual. I'm fully convinced of that. If you see a really good athlete, when they are in the zone, we'll take basketball, for example, when somebody is just playing amazing basketball and their ego kind of drops away and the game is sort of being, is playing through them, I think that they are having a spiritual experience. And it's sort of like, um, you know, martial arts like uh, kendo, kenjutsu, you know, sword arts and things like that, where there is a tremendous amount of focus required, single-pointed focus as a form of, you know, meditation. And you can go deeper and deeper and it becomes meditative. Right, you know there are there is Zen archery, for example. People shoot bows and arrows, and it's make it into a meditative practice. And I think you can do that with anything. I think you can do it with um, computer programming. I think you can do it with baking. I think you can do it with riding your bike. You can make anything a mindful, spiritual practice. Um. So I. You know, I don't know what your true path is, but I would love it if more and more people would find that. What a world we would live in, right? What a world we would live in. I've said this to clients. Um, I've had clients who were fantastic artists, for example, and sort of afraid to put their stuff out in the world because what if people criticized it and this and that and, then, you know... Um, you know, my thought to them was, well, you know, your art or your photography or your music or what have you is really taking something, you know, is really a way for you to express your spirit. It's a way for your spirit to speak to other people. And yeah, I mean, that will be intimidating for some people and some people will be haters. That just exists everywhere. You know, it's like the guy who contacted me who called me a fraud for teaching shamanism and said it was his mission in life to stop me from doing what I was doing. Um, 
you know, uh, that didn't stop me from doing what I was doing because this is my path. And so what I have to offer and what you have to offer and what my clients have to offer and what everybody has to offer the world is far more important than what the criticizers have to offer, than what the haters have to offer. And that form of criticism and hatred, and you can see it in the comments section of any YouTube video or um, anything online, see people just spewing the most vile stuff there. Um, That is some base shadow stuff. That is some, that is some, you know, why do people feel the need to do that? Why would somebody who is happy and secure and spiritually developed feel the need to criticize or hate on or insult people they have never met? or people they've met for that matter, but people they have never met, go online and lash out like that and take satisfaction from that. Think about that. Think about how much stuff that person has not confronted, why that, why that action is satisfying for them. The, the level of insecurity that comes through there, the level of projection that comes through there. You know, and almost anybody that's going to attack you in any way is going to project a bunch of stuff onto you. Um, you know, I've definitely been through some tumultuous relationships where that was, where that was a norm, and been sucked into that myself. To be honest, um, it's hard. It's hard. I do my best. We all do our best, but I am not going to fool myself into thinking I am not human and I don't have a shadow and I don't have work to do because I do. Um, But I do my work and I do it constantly and I've been doing it for a long time and I will continue doing it probably for the rest of my life while I am capable. I will work on myself. Um, You know, and part of that is because I believe it is the most important thing for me to follow my true will um, is the most important thing in my life is to do that. And the other reason is, you know, how I show up in the world is really important to me. Um, I have children. I have a girlfriend and she has children. My, my children and their children might have children someday and I will have grandchildren. And I will, you know, let me tell you, I am going to spoil the heck out of my grandchildren. (laughs) Um, I love kids, but it is my responsibility to leave this world a better place than it was when I came into it. And the best way I can do that is to um, show up authentically for the people I love, particularly the people in uh, generations you know, generations beyond me. So for my children and even, you know, their friends even and their grandchildren, like how many, how many lives do you touch through your children? 
how much of an impact can you make on the world by showing up if you have children or if you even if you don't have children the example you can set for for children what kind of what kind of world are you going to leave and if you show up in a bold way and yeah it's hard but if you show up in a bold way and live out your true self live out your true will follow your path you're setting an example for others to do the same um and i believe if that is the if more and more people do that accept that and don't try to stuff others into tiny little boxes and repress what people really want to do or really you know not even want to do what they will to do right what is on the true path we don't you know press that down and uh, make people live their life in shame or or not or unfulfilled or what have you what a fantastic world we'll live in it will live in a world full of art and music and invention and you know spiritually enlightened people um and fantastic literature and all kinds of things all kinds of things because people are not you know people are not um uh, you know repressed people don't aren't held back from experiencing their true path and living out their true path so once again spiritual sovereignty is the ability to follow your true will without interference. And I could say spiritual interference, but um you know there's a fine line between what is spiritual and what is completely mental and what is cultural. Right? But the true will aspect is really a spiritual thing. It's really the deepest part of you expressing itself into the world. It is the divine spark, um, the divine light that is within you, that is within everybody, that is within every spirit, within every soul, has at its center this, you know, amazing bright light. That's how, you know, that's how I experience it in journey. And that light is um you know part of the whole of divine uh, of of divinity you could say god you could say the universe you could say whatever whatever name you want to slap on it so i look at it this way if i were to take if i had a beam of white light right and i held a prism up to that white light right up you know a glass prism it would split i could split that light into lots of different colors it would look like separate perhaps look like separate beams of light of different colors and but ultimately they are all part of that original white light because if you take away that white light if i then took you know uh something and blocked the light those 
beams, those individual colors, those individual beams of light would not come through the prism because their source is the beam of white light. And so that is a good metaphor for divinity, for God, for the God force, whatever whatever you want to call it. And we are the beams of colored light. We are diverse. We appear differently. We, um, you know, we think, conceive of ourselves as individuals, as separate. Separation is about, you know, ego is really about separation. Um, but our source is that divinity. And if you were to take that divinity away, we wouldn't exist. So we exist as an extension, as a spark, as a beam. And, you know, we're individuals, but underneath it all, we are all connected to divinity in the same way. We're all the same product of that white light. And without that, there is nothing. There's no existence. Nothing happens. (laughs) Um... Uh, not even emptiness, because emptiness is a thing. So anyway, that I'm going, I'm going deep into theology here, and I kind of want to wrap it up. We're coming to the end of about an hour of podcast. I hope this has been interesting and useful, and given you something to think about. Think about, consider, meditate on, weigh, finding your true path. And again, you'll know it. It will click. The universe will move obstacles either in your way or out of your way that nudge you towards your true path. And it's your job to listen to those, to pay attention to those, to see what, see what the universe is telling you. Some obstacles are meant to be leapt over or crashed through. And some are, oh, I'm really steering off the path here, really doing something I shouldn't be doing. Time to steer it back onto the path. With that, I will leave you. I hope to hear from you. Um, Feel free to contact me through my website. And uh, I will talk to you next time. I hope you stay safe and sane and healthy. And I love you all. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.